This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. I really learned how much I did not know uh, about Jewish culture and music. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm David Sklar. And I'm Ilana Zakon. On this week's episode, we chat with composer Rita Ueda and Professor George Blumen on their new opera about a man known as the Japanese Schindler. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. David, how are you holding up? Right, I don't think we've let people know on this podcast, but on, uh, about two weeks ago, my father... Um, unfortunately passed away very suddenly. Uh, I was actually at the airport getting ready to go back to Calgary when I got the phone call that no one ever wants to get. Um, And I had to immediately drop all my plans, uh, come back and deal with that. It was was very stressful, of course. Um, My dad and I had a great relationship. He was what we've discovered during the Shiva, during the week of the Shiva. He was a man loved by so many people. Uh, so many people who I had never met before, but he had this kind of old boys club, this breakfast club that he would attend once a week. And all these people would come up and just say what a generous man he was, what a kind soul he was, and how he was always giving advice freely all the time to his friends. And he even, he would, he, part of his job as he was entering sort of semi-retirement, he would go to the children's hospital here and he would mm-hmm. hold the babies. So we even had members from the medical clinic come and just pay their respects too. Look, I'll be very honest. Um, it was exhausting. I don't know if I ever want to do another Shiva again in my life. I don't know if I ever want to eat another Danish again in my life. Um, and I would say as we started it, it, I wanted to get out. I did not want to be in the house at all during any of this, but I think it was such a worthwhile, beneficial thing to hear all these wonderful stories. And my mom was mentioning that maybe starting a new tradition at the Shiva is that people come in and they write down a memory of the person just to share with it because my mom was hearing all these stories and we're not able to retain all this Mm -hmm. information right of course you're in still a state of shock but maybe to start a tradition at a shiva where you write down something about the person that passed something beautiful something nice that the family could then have collect and keep forever to 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 really bring back that memory so that's a really beautiful idea I, i think it's a great thing that we should start possibly um i'm here for the time being because there's still a bunch of things that we need to wind down with his with his life. Um, but I'm glad I'm here. And John, John was amazing. John stayed for two weeks here to look after not only me, but also help help my mom in a lot of processes. Um, so I'm so grateful that he was there and grateful to the community at large too for coming. Well, we're all, you know, sending our condolences to you and your family here at the CJN. Thank you. And uh David and I are are together again. Yes. In in his childhood home. Um, so the small tiny childhood home that i cannot uh, get out of one positive thing it's it's nice to be able to spend time together in person and i hope that you know even being able to talk about it out loud on the podcast helps you know give you some sense of comfort and honoring your dad's legacy i i agree so thank you for coming over and and um it's great because it's it, it is great to share these moments with with a bunch of different people so thank you very much um, not to keep going into the dark, mm-hmm. difficult territory, but um, just wanted to do a, a quick check in on how you're feeling these days with 
what is going on in the world because What's, what is <laughs> there that? isn't what, enough what, going on what for are you, you talking about what's going on in the world uh, Dave, david and i have actually been having a lot of conversations over text and just before um about how we've been feeling so i'll, I'll let you go first if you want to just do a little quick check-in you know um as we always talk about social media, trying to avoid social media, but then we get sucked back into it, having to unfriend some people that I felt have crossed that that kind of Rubicon line. That being said, at the same time, um, we there is a there was an initiation started by uh, a Jewish artist, a Jewish theater artist that really just wanted to connect with a bunch of Jews across the country. So Anna and I have been attending. It's now the second week that we attended on Zoom to really be able just to know the, our fellow Jewish artists out there, to mm -hmm. know that we're not alone feeling these things, that we're not crazy, that everyone else is sort of feeling this despair, this frustration, this isolation, this this sense of do we fit in? Where do we fit in? Do Jews yeah. count? And I just think we just came off one meeting right before. That's why you came over. It was very validating to hear a bunch of these different experiences. Yeah. Jews across the country. Validating and and like heartbreaking. There's so much emotion. I've had moments. I feel like this is the week that it really started to hit me. Like my husband said to me last night, he hasn't seen me this distressed mm. since the war broke out. And I think for the first couple of weeks, I was really trying to just like feel but not get overwhelmed that I couldn't focus like I have friends that haven't been able to sleep and I was like you know what I'm just gonna like do what I need to do hold space talk to the people that I feel safe with and then just in this past week and a half I've been now in two situations um in person with a lot of people in the theater community and I realized that I I, I don't feel comfortable in a lot of those spaces even though I don't know what a lot of people are saying I can imagine what they're saying and, and, and it's or what they're thinking. And it's very hard to know who you can talk to and where your emotions are are safely discussed. And there was even an incident that happened, um, which I won't go into too much detail on um, just for confidentiality. But, you know, there was an incident where someone said something that made me very uncomfortable about the war. And, and basically the essence of why these moments are so uncomfortable is that it seems like now the war is creeping into everywhere that I go. And, and and something that I was gonna, you know, ask and bring up is, do we have an obligation to go to an organizer of an event and say, hey, you know what, for, for the safety of those who are implicated, whether Jewish, Arab, whatever, can we try to keep this a political free zone? Like, for example, I have an event tomorrow. It's not a big event with hundreds of people like the one I was at yesterday, but it's going to be a small group of people. And I have a genuine fear and this feeling of like, oh, is it going to come up again? I don't want it to come up. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to constantly have to state my opinion or talk about, you know, the wider perspective or feel like I have to send people links. Not that I've been doing that a lot, but that's like, those are the impulses I have. And it's like, what is, what is our duty? Should we, should we try to say something in order to protect ourselves? Should we say nothing in order to protect ourselves? Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a really great question. I don't know, because sometimes it seems like every time you're doing this, you're going to like re-traumatize yourself. But people do want it's going to be brought up again and again. I just expect it to be yeah. like this issue. And it is. is. That's the problem is I kept thinking like I'm probably reacting and it's not it's not going to come up. It's not going to come up. I'm probably just getting fearful. And then it just does. And yeah. it's done in a way that's so insensitive. Hmm. And that's the part where people like completely just discount that there are any Jewish people that could be in a space that they don't understand, like what's going on, the rise of anti-Semitism, even just here in Montreal. Um, and, and it's so hard to find that balance of like, how unsafe should I be feeling? There haven't been any violent attacks, even though there's been threats of attacks. There's been gunshots on school doors. Yes. There have been, you know, 
firebombing at a synagogue. Attempted firebombing of a synagogue, the synagogue that I actually grew up going to. So like these are real things, but at the same time in in the US or in Europe, there's like actual physical violent attacks happening. So I'm like, okay, I'm relatively safe, but yet I don't feel emotionally safe. I don't feel understood. I don't feel like people care at all about their Jewish colleagues or friends. So I don't know where that leaves us. And if anything, the, the nice silver lining, as you mentioned, is that we're now being connected to all these Jewish theater artists across the ca- the country. And I hope that we're able to rely on each other, if anything. And maybe this, maybe for now, I just need to surround myself with other Jewish artists so that I can feel safe. Absolutely. They're a great resource. And if people out there are Jewish artists themselves, then you can always reach out to us to inquire about the next meeting to attend. It goes across the country. It's a little sporadic now. It happens once a week. The times will always change. But there's always strength in numbers. And if you're interested in getting involved, in putting, in speaking out, come attend this meeting just as a sharing experience. Let us know. You can always email us. You can email our producer here at the CJN just to find out more information about joining this very worthwhile um, group. And his email will be included in the show notes of the podcast episode. So we were just speaking about shared trauma, and that's one of the key themes of this new opera that's coming to the Chutzpah Festival on November 18th and 19th. It's called I Have My Mother's Eyes, a Holocaust memoir across generations. So we had the privilege of speaking to the composer Rita Ueda a couple weeks ago about this chamber opera. It tells the story of Chiune Sugihara, who saved a lot of Jews from the Holocaust. And in the vein of shared trauma, the story of the opera goes between three generations of Japanese women and then three generations of Jews and represents the the trauma that they're both experiencing at the same time. We also had the opportunity to speak to Professor George Blumen, whose parents were saved by Chiune Sugihara himself. His sister wrote a memoir about the whole experience, and that provides the basis for this new opera. Let's listen to the interview. When Jewish families in the GTA are struggling, workers at Jewish Family and Child Service are there. These workers make sure every Jewish child has a safe home. They support Holocaust survivors living in poverty. They ensure no elderly members of our community are isolated. They provide grief counseling, offer financial support for impoverished families, and help Jewish children go to camp. But they make, on average, $10,000 a year less than their counterparts at other agencies. Their employer has threatened to lock them out, right as the Jewish community faces a growing crisis of anti-Semitism. To make sure Jewish families can count on help when they need it, we need to take care of these workers. Right now, more than 100 workers at Jewish Family and Child Service are fighting to ensure their employer invests in them and in the Jewish community. Go to cupe.ca slash jfcs to learn more and send a message of support. Can you give us a brief overview of how Sugihara saved your family during the Holocaust? Okay. Well, my 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 parents uh, were from Warsaw, Poland, and then after the war broke out, they uh, they eventually escaped to uh, Vil- Vilnius in uh, Lithuania. My father knew that they had to find a way to get out. My father's brother and and his sister-in-law they got Sugihara visas and they visited him and told him about Sugihara. So that, then he went to see Sugihara. Despite the fact that my parents did not have a Curacao permit, Sugihara still gave them a visa and had the chutzpah of putting 
uh, in entrance to Curacao on it without having any Dutch verification. They went to uh, Suruga, Japan, and then from there they went by train to Kobe, and there they stayed for about uh, five months. My father would go regularly to Tokyo to, vis to visit various consulates or various embassies, and they all would say no. Uh, and but but finally one day he met on the streets of Tokyo a former professor from Warsaw, uh, who was also on the Sugihara list, and he told him to go to the Polish uh, uh, embassy. They, they, he, sent, he said that they had 25 visas for Canadians uh, for the duration of the war for Canadians who had professional backgrounds, like my father was an engineer, agricultural engineer. So they went there, and, and lo and behold. Uh, they were able to get uh, visas to Canada. There were three reg there were three boats that went regularly from Yokohama to Vancouver, and they caught the very last boat allowed to come to Vancouver from Japan. So, Rita, how did this project come about for you? Um, where did the decision come from to write the performance, let's say, as an opera rather than a text-based theater or musical or any other number of artistic endeavors? Why, why an opera for this story? So, when I first approached. George about turning the, the family story into an opera. He showed me his family's memoir. Uh, I have my mother's eyes and I read it. Then I thought, okay, this, this story has to be an opera because uh, uh, films, uh, documentaries and uh, uh, linear uh, medias can tell the historical stories uh, and the facts and present the facts very, very well was great about George's mother's uh, family memoir written by his sister was the three generations of the family, what happened after the escape. It took me a long, long time to finish the book, actually, because it touches on a lot of um, emotional relationships between people of, of families that went through trauma, whether you speak about it or not. What happens in the, in the next two generations? I really love the honesty in the family members and, and, and the three generations of women. And then George said, oh, you know, there's a parallel story of three generations of the Sugihara family. And, and he said, would you like to meet them? <laughs> yeah, so I had George introduce me to Madoka Sugihara, Chile Sugihara's surviving granddaughter, they have a similar story of um, how it took them years to get back to Japan and how the World War II was a traumatizing if, um, event for their family. I was really intrigued about how both families have a parallel story, and, and that really impressed me. But I thought, okay, to tell that story rather than to rather than to go, okay, this character did this, and then this character did this, and this character did this, uh, I thought it would be much, it would be much more interesting to tell the story um, from an emotional point of view and have people experience the emotional relationships. George, it sounds like you helped behind the scenes, you gave the idea of incorporating the other side of the story in those generations. Aside from that, how involved were you in the process uh, with Rita helping provide historical context? How often did you two chat while she was writing the opera? Well, we actually chatted quite a few times, if you add it all up. I also provided her with some photographs, which are being used as part of the opera. 
and arranged for her to meet Danielle, my niece, the third generation, and and my brother also. Oddly enough, by the way, I also had an association with Rita's family prior to meeting Rita. I taught her brother. Hello. And, and I think I even wrote a letter in math. of recommendation for graduate school for wow. her. Wow. <laughs> it like, all comes that back. That was many, many years before. Wow. <laughs> Rita. I'm curious, because when I was looking online about your work, it says your work, quote, inspires contemplation and dialogue between cultures in flux. What do you mean by that, cultures in flux? And how does that maybe apply to this particular project? So when I write opera, I try to write uh, engaging, relevant stories um, rather than stories of uh, traditional operatic stories about high-born people and their and their uh, problems, uh, you, you know, that, uh, you know, he, of, of of who they're going to marry or or their relationship with God or 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 you know something like that. And that and like, that, like the importance of being earnest. Yes. Yeah, and that kind of traditional opera, traditional theater is important. Of course, it is. But uh, for myself, I want I want to always tell stories that are engaging and and relevant to the kinds of people who might come and see my opera. So my first opera, One Thousand White Paper Cream for Japan, is for is about the boy in in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, who taught himself how to fold a thousand paper cranes and and fundraised for the for the people. And and then and then my second opera, Debris, is about the single park ranger who's responsible for the cleanup of the 92 million tons of debris coming right. our way I remember this story. Um, and landing on the West Coast. And, and the communities of people who said, none of this is garbage. We're going to go through all that, all that debris, find anything that, that could be traced to a pers- person. We're going to offer to return it to them. Um, so so I, I thought that, that, that kind of story it lends it doesn't really lend itself to a documentary, but it certainly lends itself to to the op to an opera. At that time, after I finished debris, I was looking for another story um, where uh, I, I I was looking for a positive story between um, my culture, Japanese and or Japanese Canadian culture, and also a Canadian story about how we take we, about our multicultural uh, society and how we relate to each other in positive ways. So you, as a Japanese Canadian, have already that in. What was it like writing a story that also had a Jewish family in it? What Did you learn anything new? Did you know much about Jewish history or Jewish culture prior to working on this play? Um, actually... No, I really learned how much I did not know uh, about Jewish culture and music in that I asked George, uh, what kind of music did your parents listen to? And I was really surprised that um, George's parents listened to the classics, orchestral music, European orchestral music. I do a lot of work with intercultural uh, music, which is an orchestra made up of Western instruments, plus uh, many, many folk instruments from around the world. The Vancouver Intercultural Orchestra, the the biggest intercultural orchestra in the world, is based in Vancouver. So I, I was prepared to work with f- 
folk music. But what I discovered is that there are many, many kinds of Jewish people, Jewish culture, Jewish Jewish folk music, and the diversity of, of what exactly is Jewish culture and music really, um, uh, that, that, was a, that was a big learning, learning curve for me. I assume you've probably seen the show, George, even though it no, hasn't. No, I've not seen you it. You haven't no, no, seen no. it? Oh, wow. Okay. Fact, well, then never mind. Fact, the, the whole group, in fact, I believe <laughs> all the people participating haven't really seen it either. <laughs> okay. Well, then I guess it's a we'll, world we'll, premiere. Ha- we'll have to check in uh, in the future, hopefully, to see what you thought of your experience being portrayed through opera. So even though you haven't seen the show, it, it is your family's story. And aside from the um, amazing production that I'm sure that this is going to be, is there anything from your own history that you really hope audiences in Vancouver learn? If there is one thing that you hope that they remember about your parents or your sister or anything to do with the memoir itself? I always think that one should focus on Chuni Sugihara himself. This wouldn't, and nothing would have happened without Chuni Sugihara. And this is a positive story uh, connected with the Holocaust. And I think that uh, it, it, that's the most important thing: the remembrance of Chuni Sugihara and the impact, and, and the impact he has on those who survived. That that's the important thing. Just to cap us off, Rita, if there's anything that you would like to add about your experience working on the opera or what you're excited for Vancouver audiences at the Chutzpah Festival to see? Well, this opera is not going to sound like Mozart, mainly because if 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 you're... And I, I had just gone to the Vancouver Opera's Magic Flute. It was beautiful. It was so wonderful. Uh, but um, it, this this story is not about magic, La La Land. It's it's about reality, and and it speaks about um, the you know the pain that that time does not heal. Right? Um, you lose your entire family. Fifty years later, you you know I can't see. I I can't imagine recovering from something like this. And so the music is not going to be, um, it's not going to sound like Mozart. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's going to be, um, uh, a, it, it will be a contemporary piece of opera. Um, the, the, the sound world will be, will be disturbing, perhaps. Um, and hopefully uh, it, will be, it, will be, it will engage you um, at, at the deepest level. Um, it, it will be an improvised opera right. with improvised uh, uh, theatric uh, acting, and main, mainly because I didn't want the script, the, the the emotional story that comes out of you. I don't think I've ever heard of an improvised opera or maybe a scriptless opera. That's something uh, that's that sounds yeah. very interesting. Um, about uh, let's see, in 2015, I was a pian- p- rehearsal pianist for George Lewis's opera called Afterward, about the history of uh, improvised music in Chicago. And I thought, wow, that's very interesting. And uh, I promised myself my next opera will be an improvised opera. So in what ways is it improvised? I'm just trying to picture that. Like the arias are all written, the music's written. And then is it the, the actual blocking and choreography that's improvised? Like the way that they utilize it like what does oh, that actually the look music like is improvised so the instrumental players are given certain parameters 
they're given rules, but within that wow. rule, they can play any, anything that, that, that they would like to add to the emotional content of the story. The songs have been written for months, uh, but it will not be sung in a linear format. So the singers can uh, repeat phrases. They can oh, stop. Cool. And, oh, yeah, right. And they can stop. That's awesome. Yeah, they can stop and interrupt and make and go and speak and then come back and resume their aria. Uh, so it's wow. I've given them the license to do their job, whereas in traditional opera, there's uh, you have to stick to the music. You have to sing accurately and you have to count while you play. You have to follow the conductor. Uh, but in many ways, that's a distraction from telling the story and doing your job, which is to deliver the content of what the words really mean. So I said to the singers, don't worry, nobody's going to have the music in front of them to say, oh, you sang that wrong note. <laughs> I, I said, don't worry about that. De deliver the lines, deliver the, uh, deliver the, uh, the content. And, and do your job, is what I said to the musicians. You're right. It is not at all like Mozart's, and I'm beginning to, to hear and see that more and more. Uh, but right now, George, Rita, thank you so much for coming in to chat with us. Uh, this is definitely one positive way to come together and, sh and share a, uh, a very difficult and traumatized experience. So the show will premiere on the 18th and 19th at the Chutzpah Festival in Vancouver. Thank you both again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And now we come to the portion of what is happening across this Canadian landscape of ours. Obviously, this opera is set to debut in Vancouver on November 18th and 19th at the Chutzpah Festival. Here in Montreal, the next Siegel Center show is about to premiere Boy Falls from the Sky with Jake Epstein. I believe, David, you interviewed Jake on our old podcast. A year ago. Yeah. A year ago. So that show is his one-man show, all about his experience playing Spider-Man on Broadway, which, if you know anything about the show, was a huge flop. <laughs> so um, I have not seen the show, but I've heard wonderful things about it. It's playing from November 19th to December 10th, and it's a, a compilation of stories and songs, and he ex shares his experience of being a Canadian on Broadway. Exactly, exactly. And his experience of being a very famous um, Hallmark actor playing like the Jewish side of all those shows. And we had, we had a chat about that on exactly as you said, the previous interview I did with him. Take a listen. All, if you if you want to listen to my interview with with Jake Epstein from a year ago on Bonjour Chai. Also happening right now, I want to bring attention to this. It's, it's online and it's happening right now and it's on YouTube as well. It's called Bring Them Home, A Broadway Prayer. Um, unlike during COVID, when a bunch of actors decided to randomly get together, like Sarah Silverman, James Marsden, and Jimmy Fallon, do you remember when they came together to sing Imagine, like day six into the pandemic? Or has this been wiped from your memory, Elena? It's been wiped from my memory. It was too traumatized. It was early <laughs> days of COVID. It was pretty awful, but this time I think they did hit it out of the park. So people like Tova Felshun, Jeremy Jordan, if you know Jeremy Jordan, big famous Broadway actor, Billy Porter, and dozens of other artists and musicians came together to sing for the release of over the over 200 Israeli citizens currently being held captive by Hamas. I thought it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. They're singing Bring Him Home from Le Miserable, but exactly. it's Bring Them Home. Uh, definitely check that out. If you're in need of something light 
and you're based in Toronto, there is an event coming up on November 18th and 19th. Legendary comedian and Broadway star Robert Klein will be performing at the Harold Green Jewish Theater, and it's billed as an unforgettable evening of laughter, story, and song. And one other thing I want to bring up to our attention, and I will be attending this event. It is here in Montreal on November 16th at 7 p.m. at the Museum of Jewish Montreal. It is called Je vais, tu vas, Shiva, a conversation about death. Um, we obviously all face mortality. Uh, this is a, a great event for Jews, to, for Jews to come together and get steeped in the world of death to make it really less taboo, a subject I know many people don't like talking about. It does, um, it does touch all of us, and we all can't escape without going through it. So they're going to bring Dan Misha Goldman, a musician and a music therapist in palliative care, Rian Lucier. I'll be there. If, if you're in Montreal, come and say hello to me. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, David Sklar, and Ilana Zakon. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.